0: Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> uh, well, good morning again, everyone. Um, today is the third Sunday in the season of Lent. And uh, if you're not super familiar with Lent, or maybe you haven't even been engaging it, that's okay. It's not too late uh, to be a part of it. Lent is a 40-day season where we, um, we give some things up uh, and we take some things up. We examine our hearts and our lives. We turn back to God and ultimately we prepare to remember Good Friday and to celebrate Easter Sunday. And during this season of Lent, uh, for six weeks, we are reading um, a very difficult story in the Old Testament together. It's from Genesis 22, and it's the story of when God comes to this man named Abraham, and he asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, Now, I was talking with my sister a few days ago, she does not live in Denver, she lives in another part of the country, and she listens to our podcast, and um, she told me the first week of Lent when we started the series, when Jillian first started reading this story, her immediate thought was, I hate this story, I hate this story. And uh, I think we can all affirm that at some level. Now, maybe you can't because you don't even really know the story. Don't worry, we're going to read it in just a second. And you'll see why it's such a difficult story. And I think it's so hard, and the reason we don't like it, there's actually two reasons. The first is, um, number one, uh, why in the world would God ask Abraham to do that? It doesn't make sense. But then when you peel back the layers, I think what's actually even more disturbing is the fact that Abraham does it without any questions and without any objections. And so today we are going to wrestle with Abraham's response to what God asks him to do and maybe learn a little bit about our own journeys of faith and what our own relationship with God should look like. So let's jump in and walk through this story slowly together. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Here's what it says. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. So we're told at the very beginning that God is testing Abraham. That's what this is all about. And last week, we explored that entire topic. Does God test people? Does God actually still do that? And so if you weren't here, you can go back and listen to that message. But we just need to remember right up here up front, whatever else we read in the story, what this is about is God is testing Abraham. And here's the test. Next verse. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Now, um, Isaac is probably not a young boy at this point. He's probably a teenager, perhaps even an older teenager. And we're going to come back next week and talk about exactly what God is asking him to do. But look at how Abraham responds. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac and when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he arose or got up and set out for the place God had told him about. Now, I read this and I think uh, and have so many questions. And I've read this a lot over the past few months. And it raises so many questions for me. Did, God, uh, did Abraham never question what God was asking Did Abraham just go to sleep that night and thought, I'll just get up early the next morning and start doing what God has told me? Did he toss and turn? Did he ever stop to think, maybe the voice I heard was not God? Did he tell Sarah, his wife, what he thought God was asking him to do? And what did she say about it? It's her son too, right? Or did he get up early and leave quickly so that he could hide it all? From Sarah, right? Is that what's going on here? If that's not what's going on then why did he get up so early and leave so quickly? And then if you start looking at the things he started doing that morning, some of them don't even make a lot of sense. Why did he load the donkey first and then go and cut the wood, right? Don't you think he would have gone and cut the wood and then loaded it on the donkey right before he left? And why is he loading the donkey? He has servants for that, He's taking servants with him, but it says he's loading the doggy. And then why is he chopping the wood? He has servants for that, too. He should have sent somebody else to go chop the wood. Why is he the one doing it? And why chop the wood in the first place? I'm a planner, right? Why in the world would you chop the wood and carry it all the way here? Why not just take an axe with you and chop it when you get to the mountain? That would be so much easier. When you start looking at all the things he's doing, it just doesn't even make a lot of sense. There's all of these actions that he takes. and in fact, there's six Hebrew verbs in this passage. We're told about these things that he gets up and he starts doing these actions he takes, but we're never told what he thinks. And we're never told how he feels. And we're never told that he says anything. Why does he never ask any questions? Why is he silent? Why does he not even at least grieve or lament or doubt or wrestle with what God has asked him to do? And we don't know. The story doesn't tell us. It goes on and it says next, On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and he placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire, which would have been a torch or maybe some flint to start a fire, and the knife. So they've journeyed for a couple of days, and it makes me wonder, did they talk on the journey? Did they have any conversations? What happened? We don't know. Right? It just says they get to a spot and on the third day he sees the mountain. So they're either at the foot of the mountain or he sees the place where he's supposed to to go do this. And at this point he decides to leave his servants behind. Why? We're we're not really told. And then why does he tell his servants we're going to go worship God and then we're both going to return back to you. That's not true. Abraham knows that's a lie. Right? They're not going to both return back. He's going to go Sacrifice his son. That's what he's going to do. That's what God has told him to do. They're not going to both return. Why does he tell this to his servants? And then when they leave the servants, why does he make Isaac carry the wood? Doesn't that seem cruel? Shouldn't this be a burden that Abraham should be carrying? And then again, I go back to, why not take the donkey with you from this point, right? I mean, if the donkey has carried the wood this far, why would you leave the donkey behind? Why would you not keep just letting the donkey carry the wood? It's almost like it doesn't make a lot of sense. There's a short exchange that happens right after this between Abraham and Isaac. And we're going to read that next week. But then it says, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there. And he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. Six more Hebrew verbs. Abraham builds an altar, which means he would gather these rocks and he would make a big pile and maybe make a a flat top uh, on top of the pile of rocks. And then he arranges the wood on it because he's going to build a fire there. And then he binds his son. Bind here means he ties him up with some sort of cord or rope. The Hebrew verb for bind is the word akidah. And this is actually the name of the story in Judaism. They call it the akidah, the binding of Isaac. And in fact, Jews in synagogues around the world continue to read this story every single year at the beginning of the celebration of Rosh Hashanah, which is the beginning of the Jewish New Year. This is the story that they read to set the direction for the faith that they're going to have in God in the next year. Think about that for a second. You think it's kind of weird we're reading this story during Lent. This is like their manger story. Right? This is their, he's a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes story. Like, this is the one. Think about if we read this on New Year's Day every year and said, this is the kind of faith and this is the direction we want to set. Let's go into the New Year. Like, that's how important this story is for them. So Abraham binds Isaac. He lays him on the wood. And then it says he reaches out his hand or stretches out to grab for the knife. And he takes it. And we're thinking, how can Abraham do this? Right? How in the world, through this entire ordeal from the moment that God said, I have a test from you to the night of tossing and turning and thinking about this, to getting up the next morning, to gathering the wood, to chopping it, to loading the donkey, to traveling for three days, all of the conversations, all of the time up until this point where he builds the altar, he binds his How in this whole time does Abraham never question what God has asked him to do? And you know, what's even more perplexing. Abraham has questioned God in the past. It's not like he doesn't know how to question God. It's not like he doesn't know how to talk to God about things like this. Back in Genesis 12, um, God makes this promise to Abraham. He says, you're going to have a whole bunch of children, and they don't have any children. And in Genesis 15, Abraham comes back to God, and he says, hey, we still don't have any children. Promise hasn't come true. I'm about to die. When I die, who's going to inherit all of my stuff? Abraham is questioning God. Same chapter, Genesis 15. God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you all of this land. And by the way, it's land that other people currently own, but you're going to get it. Abraham says back to God, how's that going to happen, God? If they already own the land, how am I ever going to take possession of this land? Abraham is questioning God. Genesis 17, God comes to Abraham and says, hey, remember that promise I said you're going to have a son? And basically Abraham says, yeah, that's crazy. It's never going to happen. I'm really old now. Sarah's really old. It's impossible. It literally says in the Bible that Abraham laughs in God's face. How in the world will that ever happen? Abraham is questioning God. And then in Genesis 18, God comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to destroy an entire city of people because they're so wicked. These people have been oppressing others. They've been abusing others. And I'm hearing the cries of the abused victims and I'm not going to let it stand anymore. And so I'm going to come down and I'm going to give justice to the victims and I'm going to give judgment on the wicked. And he tells Abraham he's about to do this. And Abraham, look at what he says back to God. Then Abraham approached God and he said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. That means, like, how dare you, God? Will not the judge of all the earth do what's right? You see, Abraham hears that God is going to do this, and, and look at all of the question marks up there. Look at all of the even some exclamation points, right? He sees God is about to destroy this entire city and it makes sense in his mind if the people are wicked and they've really been doing all of this abuse and these things that you say they've been doing Then it makes sense that you're going to judge the wicked for it. But what if there's a thousand people in the city and 50 of them are good people? What if 50 of them are righteous and they haven't been doing any of these things? God, you wouldn't destroy an entire city If there's still some people there who are innocent or who are victims or who are righteous people, how dare you think about that, God? I am challenging you and contending you. Don't do it, God. Would the judge of all the earth really do something like that? And look at how God responds. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Well, then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 people there, God said, I will not destroy it. So Abraham goes on. Well, once again, he spoke to him. What if there are only 40 people found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not destroy it. Well, then he said, well, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. But if only 30 people can be found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He goes on. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? And he answered, for the sake of 10. I will not destroy it. You see, Abraham keeps pushing and pressing over and over and over for the victims, for the righteous, right? For God to be fair, for God to be just, for God to be merciful. He questions God over and over and over. And God says, yes, I'm just. And yes, I'm merciful. You show me 10 righteous people and I will spare the entire city. And you get the sense they could just keep bargaining. And it's like, all right, how about nine? How about eight? How about seven? And they could go all the way down to one. And God would Still spare the city, because God is willing to listen to Abraham when Abraham is willing to speak up and question and contend with and wrestle with God. It's such a powerful exchange. And it's what makes Abraham silence in Genesis 22 so incomprehensible, right? With his own son, why doesn't he speak up? He's questioned God before. He's wrestled with God. He's bargained with God. He's contended with God. Why won't he do it now? Why is he still silent in Genesis 22? Well, I don't really know. I'm not sure I have great answers, But here are a couple of thoughts. It's possible that Abraham did contend with God. Maybe in his heart and his mind, more than we give him credit for, more than the story actually shares. But maybe it's all internal, right? And maybe the only way he can go through with doing what God has asked him to do is to just disconnect and disengage emotionally from the entire situation. And so as we read this passage, what we're seeing is a man who looks like a sleepwalker. He's like this unfeeling robot, and he's just going through these emotions, and seemingly to us without any feeling whatsoever. And to us, it is not the picture of a loving parent. That's why this story is so hard. Or it's also possible that Abraham never contended with God about sacrificing Isaac. It's possible that the faith Abraham has is deeply flawed and very incomplete. That perhaps God actually wanted Abraham to grieve. God wanted Abraham to wrestle with what he had asked him to do. God wanted to see the passion that he saw in Genesis 18, right? God wanted to have a conversation with Abraham where Abraham comes to God and says, how in the world could you ask this? And they could talk about it. And Abraham could demand of God that God do what's right. But Abraham, see, he on one hand has this desire to to trust and obey God, to do what God says. And on the other hand, perhaps he questions what God is saying. But it's like he doesn't even know how to hold these two things together. He doesn't know how to hold them in tension. He doesn't think he can hold on to trusting in God and questioning and contending with God together. He doesn't think these two things can coexist. And I wonder if we find ourselves in situations like that. Hopefully not as dramatic and difficult as Abraham. But I wonder if we find ourselves in seasons of life where we want to trust, but we have these seemingly unsolvable questions. And we just don't know how to hold them together. And we think we have to let go of one. And I think for a lot of us, In those seasons, we usually just let go of the trust. Abraham does the same thing. He just does the opposite. He lets go of the questions. And he just holds on to trust. And that sounds better. But maybe it's not that much better. I mean, he technically passes the test. But the way he passes the test he might have destroyed his family in the process. Did, did you know that there is no record after the story of Abraham living with or talking to his wife, Sarah? Now, it's possible. I can imagine a scenario where she is so upset with what Abraham does, so traumatized that it destroys their marriage. She ends up dying In another town, living in another place. There's no record after this story of Abraham living with or talking to his son Isaac. In fact, it says Isaac does not return from Moriah with Abraham. And the next time we're told they are face-to-face is at Abraham's funeral. Maybe what Abraham almost did to his son Isaac so traumatized him, which we could see, right, that he resolved to never speak to his father again. Now, we don't know. Perhaps their relationship was fine. Perhaps they did talk to one another and live with each other. Perhaps the the book of Genesis just doesn't include those stories. Maybe it just moves on to other things and it's concerned with other things. We just don't really know. Perhaps the absence of those stories suggests the family was never the same again. So many unanswered questions. And Abraham's silence throughout the whole story is so deeply unsettling. And I actually think that's why this story is so important. Abraham's silence invites us to not be silent. Abraham not showing emotions invites us to fill the story with all of the emotions that he should have shown and he should have had. Abraham not contending with God on behalf of his son Isaac invites us to contend with God on behalf of his son Isaac, because that's the kind of relationship that God wants with every single one of us. He wants us to be more like Genesis 18, Abraham, who demands that God do what's right in the face of seeming injustice. He wants us to be like Job, who contends with God when things are not making sense. He wants us to be like Jacob, who wrestles with God. He wants us to be like Hannah, who pleads before God and weeps before God. He wants us to be like David, who yells at God. He wants us to be like Jesus, who the night before he goes to the cross, questions God, is this the only way it could happen? You see, God, he wants us to to trust and obey, but he also invites us to question and contend with him and to somehow figure out how to hold on to both. And so today, this morning, I want to give you some time to think about that in your own life. To wrestle with that on your own. I want to give you just a couple of minutes. It's not much time. but Just a couple of minutes to almost pause and maybe close your eyes and the band will come up and play some music. And I just want to give you a couple of minutes to ask a few questions personally. You can ask this, what am I mad at God about? Perhaps there's something in your life that's happened that you're mad at him about. Perhaps there's something way back that you just stuffed deep down inside and you're still angry, right? Or perhaps there's something going on in the world or there's something going on to a group of people and it makes you mad. What am I confused with God about? Or what doesn't make sense right now? There is space, to both trust in God and contend with God. But it always begins by speaking to God. So take a few moments now and talk to him about that.